Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where, you know, I every, every once in a while I need to put out this reminder. I just, I feel the need that I have to remind everybody that right now you are listening to the absolute finest podcast on the internet put out by us. There are other shows that may be finer, but they are not put out by us. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think I would wait until we're done with this show by declaring before declaring that this is the current show that is the best that we have ever done. I didn't say it's the best we've ever done. I j- I'm talking about the podcast in general as a whole. The Not series the podcast that we they're done. currently listening to, because this could be rubbish. It could be. But it, we it, don't know yet because it, it, it hasn't could, happened. It could be the worst of the batch. But in terms of just the bloke and the bird show, it is truly the finest podcast on the internet put out by us the next thing you're going to tell me is that you need the shirt that says i'm famous on the internet well yeah so in opening the show and i know you probably did that to try to break the fact that we're going to open with some sad news yeah we are uh the formula one world is uh kind of in shock this week it may be a good thing that we are not in a race weekend i think it's good that we're not in a race weekend but catching everybody up as we're recording it's only been hours old it has been reported that for the first time in 21 years uh formula one family has lost a race driver due to a racing incident about eight months ago jules bianchi crashed into a rescue vehicle that was trying to remove another car off the track in Japan during the rain, and he has been in a coma ever since. His family reported that he has been fighting hard up until the end, but as of today, his journey is ended. You know, it was kind of surprising to see the story breaking across the the various media outlets over the last few hours, 12 hours or so. I think it was actually about 24 hours. I think it got announced. It was Friday night at, I think, 10 p.m. British Standard Time was when the word came out. Earlier this week, there had been a story and a statement released by Jules's father saying that after eight months, that the, the prognosis wasn't well, at, at least in terms of a full recovery. The, the thing is, I guess, when it comes to injuries like he suffered in the first six months is really when the... If they they come out of the coma in the first six months, it's a greater likelihood that of a full recovery. And the longer after that, things start to get a little worse. So that story had come out earlier this week, and, and I was a little surprised. Uh, well, everybody was a, a lot surprised, I think, by the story this morning. Reports state not only have condolences gone out across every single facet of the F1 community, it is just another reminder of what a tight-knit family they really are. The family, the the Bianchi family has reported to be fairly devastated, as one would expect. Mm -hmm. There have also been a series of articles that talk about what a great driver he really was and the loss of potential that has now occurred. Many articles I read that he was truly on track to become a world champion and we have lost yet another one too young. Yeah, he was part of the Ferrari driver training program. Um, so in that respect, I guess he was leased out to Marussia 
uh, in time of the crash. And last year truly was a standout year for him. He scored the team their first ever points in their entire history Mm -hmm. in what for him, well, actually in general, for the back of the grid in general was in Monaco a fantastic race last year. I I don't think anybody who's watched that race last year will forget him barging his way through cars at Roscoss Mm -hmm. to get himself up into, into ninth place. Yes, exactly. And that was after getting, I think, two penalties. And he still got up in the ninth. He had a phenomenal drive. He was a phenomenal driver. On the positive note, I think we can't forget the fact that we've gone 21 years without a racing death. And that's a credit to the safety measures, the respect on the track the Mm -hmm. change in dynamic of the drivers themselves i think that that is a credit to the sport for becoming safer and it's sad that we lost bianchi it's but it's a brutal reminder that this is a dangerous sport and we cannot take it for granted and after 21 years it's easy to say well they've taken the risk out of it well, that's it. You know, I, I think looking at this and, and what happened last year in Suzuka, you A, anybody who wants to turn around and say the risk has been taken out of Formula One needs to just sit down and shut up. And the other is anyone who wants to say that Formula One is too easy, and that includes, yes, Fernando Alonso, who has come out and said Formula One is too easy, again, needs to sit down and shut up because the fact that incidents like this happen – the fact that even last in the last race, there were so many cars involved in the various wrecks that happened at, at the start of the race, or the year before that, Kimi Raikkonen and the massive shunt he had at Silverstone. It's not an easy sport. It's not the, the fact that drivers have come out of all of those incidents and cars being in the air, cars flipping and walked away from them. I think more than anything else speaks to how much of a focus safety has been, but it does not take away from the fact that it is still a risky sport. It is still a difficult sport because if it wasn't a difficult sport, I'd be doing it. (laughs) No, you wouldn't. No, I would have retired by now, but I would have done it. (laughs) Well, possibly. So I think we need to take a deep breath and move on from our sad news because we had other sad news this weekend. We did? Mm-hmm. We should be having a race this weekend. Well, th- that's true. Well, that wasn't really sad news. I mean, well, it's, you- it's, it's, well it was sad, but it's not news because this Okay, so it's sadness out. this weekend. Yes. Do you know, I have a bone to pick with you, mister. Every it's not my fault that there was no Nürburgring race. Don't pin that on me, woman. I'm blaming you. No, every year, somebody, our listening public needs to understand the dynamic that happens in our world. Oh, no. Every year, when the calendar gets announced, Michael diligently and dutifully puts every F1 race in all the family calendars so that it pops up with... I, you know, the reminder message and it tells me that I have a race coming up this weekend so that I can plan my Saturday and Sunday schedules 
around whether or not I need to be available for the television. Well, if I didn't do it, who was going to? Well, no, this is a compliment. I really appreciate the fact that you put the time and effort into doing all of this. Times, however many races. And you've gotten good because the first year you did it off like the preliminary calendar and then it had to change like three times. So you've waited till the calendar's mostly finalized. Mm-hmm. But my bone to pick with you is you didn't take the Germany Grand Prix out of my calendar. So yesterday I got an alert that the qualifying was happening today and it wasn't happening. I got all excited when I saw Grand Prix and then I saw that it was the German Grand Prix and went, hmm. And pouted. I see. So, it's your fault. No, it's Bernie Eccleston's fault. Well, yes, it's Bernie's fault that there's no German Grand Prix. It's your fault that it was in my calendar. Okay. We we can loop back to more Bernie bashing later on. Oh, please? Because it's always my favorite thing to do. Actually, it's become my second favorite thing to do lately. Bernie's become too easy of a target. My current thing to do is Trump bashing. Mm, well, he's becoming an easy one, too. Right. Again, we're not going to talk. I said this last week. We are not <laughs> going. Why did you do that? <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to start rickrolling people. Oh, can I do that? Uh, no. You give me no power during this show. I don't have anything I can push a button in and, and, and make it go. Good. Anyway. But I'm never going to set you up. Or let me down? Thank you. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Let's stick with delusions. Of grandeur? Just general delusions. All right. Who's delusional today? So, racing director at McLaren, Eric Boullier. Okay. He has come out. Well, he's not quite as delusional as Ron Dennis who still seems to think that McLaren is going to get a podium this season. However, he does say that if they can turn around and overcome the reliability issues with the engines, they will be able to make major steps in performance. But wait, that's not delusional. If they can overcome the reliability issues, they can make major steps. So if I had some ham... I could have ham and eggs if I had some eggs. So, in other words, if I had an engine that worked, I could make ma- – well, that's true. If I had an <laughs> engine that worked, I could make major steps because I could finish a race with both of my cars. Exactly. You <laughs> see how it works. That is not delusion. <clears throat> that is stating the obvious with a poor premise. Okay. Well – he he comes out and he says that obviously the issue is reliability. He says specifically the problem is in the hybrid system, um, which is and it, it's those parts that recover en- energy from the rear axle and the turbocharger. Um, they're not unable to, or excuse me, they're not able to unlock the full recovery potential because if they do, it creates reliability issues, and that hurts us in terms of performance. Again, if we had an engine that worked, we could finish a race. <laughs> Exactly. The the latest estimates now are that that Honda engine, and I'm assuming because it, it is power restricted so that they don't break crap, is down 100 horsepower on the Mercedes engines. By comparison, the, the Renault engines, they're only down by 50 horsepower. Hey, see? <laughs> um, 
Manor, Marusha, mm-hmm. Will Stevens, yes, my, my boy Will, has a great interview, and unfortunately I didn't grab the article, so I'm paraphrasing, forgive okay. me, about his strategy in the races. And the line that I loved the most, and it does make me love Will a little bit more each day, is that he's not just trying to hold on to the back of the grid because, you know, that's where they live and that's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. But he's really loving the fact that he's getting to race world champions at the back of the (laughs) grid. (laughs) He's trying to outrace those other cars that are at the back of the grid, particularly the McLarens. You know, I don't blame them. That's a good target. I figured, you know, I just can't wait to see a McLaren finish a race with a Marusha in front of them. Um, well, yeah, that's the key thing is the McLaren has to finish the race. See, I, I, see, because again. so far, the Marushas have been doing better in most races. Right. It would have been interesting if Will Stevens was able to brag that he got more points than Fernando Alonso in the F1 season. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay. But anyway. So I've got a question for you. Oh, my. Did you know that if you get an invitation to view the finals of Wimbledon from the Royal Box, that there is a dress code that you have to meet? Actually, I did. You know who didn't know that? Lewis Hamilton. There you go. I read that article. (laughs) This is the one you weren't going to tell me about Uh because you thought you'd surprise me. I read the article. Apparently... Did not know and got turned away. The worst part about it, though, is that I, I don't quite understand how he can claim ignorance on this because he, he, when he got turned away, he then took to social media to explain that he got turned away and posted a picture of the invitation to the to the box. And behind that, the second flyer that he got that said, guidelines – for the royal box. I know. <laughs> and Apparently at, his uh, assistant didn't read that. And looking at the pictures of what he actually wore, for Lewis, it was pretty respectable. Yeah. I mean, he he, he dressed up and cleaned up well in a, in a fairly conservative fashion for Lewis. So he did not get to go and... Enjoy the finals at Wimbledon, and I think it was the men's finals. He did not get to enjoy it with the likes of, um, oh, well, your your favorite, Benedict Cumberbatch and Hugh uh. Grant. They were both spotted in the royal box. Wearing the appropriate clothing, I'm yes. quite sure. In, instead, he had to um, watch the finals in the comfort of a hospitality suite somewhere else on the property. Now, Wimbledon has reached out and responded to Lewis. Okay. I didn't get all that far with that piece, but I believe there will be another invitation in the future, and Lewis has responded that he will dress appropriately. I should hope so that he has learned that lesson. Now, he wasn't a jerk about it or anything like that. It was just the, yep, showed up and turned away. There was another article very close to that one about him being turned away that he is quite the uh, – he's considered the fashion plate of Formula One. Well, he is to some extent. Well, he's got a very distinctive look there you that go. he hones very well. Yes. I don't necessarily say it's a great look, <laughs> but it's not my taste. Although whatever that funky thing is he's doing with the front of his hair – I. 
Can I can okay. I talk to him H- about that? His hair has a tendency to kind of look. I shouldn't go there. No, don't go oh. there. Okay, fill in that blank on your own. <laughs> Michael Short does not and approve. Curly in in black, mm-hmm. and you can make that conclusion. That's what they are. Short and curly. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Write your complaint letters to Michael at Bloke and the Bird. <laughs> well, you can do that, but that doesn't exist. So go for that. Yeah. Leave um, us a comment on the Facebook page. How's that? Hey. Keep it clean, please, people. Keep it clean. Hey. You know what hey. time it is? What time is it? It's silly season time. It is, but it's not even to the mid-season break, and it's already silly well, season. Well, no, this is about the time that we've talked about it before, but we hit silly season a couple of weeks ago. Um, the first silly season piece I have is that there is a rumor flying that an American consortium uh, consisting of New York financier James Carney, who, by the way, is not the same James Carney who is the president's tr- uh, press secretary. This is a different James Carney. There's more than one, apparently. And somebody by the name of Tavo Hillmond are putting together a package to potentially buy out an F1 team. The signs are pointing that this may be Marusha, which would give us, if this is true and it plays out, Two American F one teams. Right, we would have Fa- we would have Haas and we would have Marussia. Yeah, I have nothing to add to. Yeah, this. I, I mean it could be interesting. I, I I leave it as a silly season rumor that's coming out. As it stands right now, we do know that we have two seats that are open for next year. We have rumors on. One maybe opening at McLaren, depending on who you talk to. And the latest rumor I have. Yes. Is that very soon, somebody at Ferrari is going to go. Kimmy, get out of the way. <laughs> you think Kimmy's days are numbered at Ferrari? Um, well, that is the latest rumor. You know, we talked that, that Valtteri Bottas could be getting the seat and that there was some interest in that. Well, Italian newspaper Corriere dello Sport claims that Ferrari has already made the decision that they will not take up the option on uh, Kimi and instead will pay 12 million euros to Williams to buy Valtteri out of his contract and bring Valtteri over. To take Valtteri's seat, they are saying, will be Felipe Nasser who, by the way, is also a test driver for Williams, in addition to driving for Sauber. We can't have that. Okay. We cannot have Felipe Massa and Felipe Nasser <laughs> on the same team. Okay, I, I could, by, by I could just go for that. Votes of insanity. Uh, we cannot do that. That is it, wrong, wrong, wrong. The commentator's going, Felipe just passed. Oh, wait, no. Felipe just passed Felipe. No, um, 
you could see the NBC folks just trip all over themselves. Well, by the time David Hobbs gets on the air and he's had his few gin and tonics, <laughs> it's going to get all over the place quickly. Now, they predicted that this announcement with Botas going to Ferrari won't happen until about the 31st of July. Well, not definitely won't happen before the break. And it would affect four teams with seats moving around. Yeah, that well, let's see. You got Ferrari, you got Williams, you got Sauber. Who who else? It didn't tell me who the four were. It just said it was a four-team mix. Interesting. Now, what I think is odd, though, is that Nazar's a test driver for Williams, but he drives for Sauber. Sauber has Ferrari engines. Williams has Mercedes engines. I know. There's gold right there. <laughs> uh, there is that. That could be very interesting. How many test drivers does Williams have? However, many are going to pay them. Uh, keep keep in mind, some of the, these deals are a matter of they brought in money, they bought themselves a seat. I mean, Carmen Jorda. That's the only reason why she's over at Lotus. Okay, reasonable enough. I I was. I guess I never dawned on me that you would buy a test drive seat as opposed to a seat seat. Well, you know, it, it's any way that they can find to get them in front of a team to, to get that foot in the door. Um, I'm betting a lot of these test drivers, are this, given the limits on testing and, and general seat time, a lot of these test drivers are simulator drivers. Mm. It's definitely a possibility. It, it's making me think of the Susie Williams, uh, Susie, Susie Wolf. Wolf. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I'm kind of wondering is because Gene Haas has come out and said that his interest for the Haas team or, or his preference for the Haas team, well, he hasn't announced any drivers, is that he'd like one experienced driver and one young driver. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Susie doesn't have a lot of race experience, but she does have experience in a Formula One car, and she's got experience with a team. Now, granted, it's with Williams and a mercedes power team, but it is still experience with a team, and if he wants something splashy, that's a decent way to go. I believe they've already ruled out the possibility of signing Danica Patrick for a seat. Yeah, I think she's no longer in talks for an F1 seat at all. I'm not sure that she ever was in any kind of significant talks. I think it was just a name of, oh, American team, maybe maybe you'll grab Danica, right? I think that's that's mm. what the, the negotiation was. Um, I don't think she was ever seriously considered. Well, I mean, I think Susie's a viable possibility. The problem that you the problem you face with Susie is that she doesn't have race experience, race mm-hmm. time experience. But the other thing is you're going to start facing an age issue, and I hate to yeah. be ageist on such things. Um, and I love to hear Susie talk about women in the sport; she's fascinating. But I think that we're going to start pushing her age, if not an age issue, because I, I don't know exactly how old she is. She may run into an issue with super license qualifications because, again, the policy has changed. It changed last year and required folks to have come up through uh, one of the junior circuits, which she is not in anymore. They changed it again this year. Mm. So 
Yeah. She, she may end up at a point where she runs out of eligibility for a super license. I don't know. Well, and I don't know how much how many points you get for being Toto's wife. I'm sure that there's a point structure for that. There is just not in the super license structure. That you know of. <laughs> That's been published. <laughs> there's that top secret stuff about uh, the super license. So. Yes. The last thing we will talk about Formula One related, and we are going to talk about other stuff this show. We're getting Formula One out of the way. That way, if you don't care about anything else we talk about, you can end and, and we can continue rambling on for another 20, 30 minutes or whatever. Autosport took a look at and did a survey of what it costs to be a Formula One fan as opposed to all, you know, all we hear are the teams getting sucked dry for money. This is how the fans are getting soaked for money. Now, they took it from a British perspective, so all their costs are in pounds as opposed to in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. The sum total, if you're a Formula One fan, you're paying more than any other sport. There you go. Okay, but I take umbrage with their math and their metho- metho- math and methodology. For everything or just certain things that they looked at? Some things. Okay. I won't say I take umbrage with all of the things. First, um, their methodology on cost to view the races. Now, first, I realize that um, they are British-centric, so they are looking at the fact that there's a BBC license fee, but then there is a Sky Sports fee if you want to see all the races live. Correct. So... In their ranking of your fandom, they have a price for, like, the low-end fan, which is just paying the BBC licensing fee. Mm -hmm. But here's my problem with that. Okay. You will pay the BBC licensing fee whether or not you're an F1 fan. So you can't apply Well, there's other value there, is I, I think the way to put it. But there are folks in England, and, and it's becoming a bigger thing, that are not paying the fee. They are not subscribing to that service. I understand. But what I'm trying to say is it would be similar in the States to saying that your cable bill gets 100% applied to your F1 fandom costs. No, the, where, where that would be comparable is if your ca- you specifically changed your cable package to make sure that you had NBC Sports so that you could watch it. Then you but should then only, it's only that additional th- that's cost. That's the difference. Yeah. This is the license fee. That's not a difference to have the F1 piece. It's the whole license fee. Okay. Well, how about this? And Instead on the Sky Sports video. piece, which is 500 and something pounds, mm-hmm. which is exorbitant when you think about it. It is. It's a ton of money. It's a ton of money. But again, it is not applicable strictly. It, it's, not, it's not applicable strictly because you're an F1 fan. My association here is I don't, we don't have the NFL Sunday ticket right? because we're not NFL fans. Mm-hmm. So if we were going to start looking at how much it costs to be an NFL fan, I would take the Sunday ticket price, whatever exorbitant fee but that I think is, that it, but only that fee, not how much it costs me to have my cable service. And Actually, I think the Sunday 
ticket fee is, and the Major League Baseball, they, they've got a similar package too. I think that's probably a better comparison. But even still, that's 40 to 50 bucks a year. And MLB may even be more than that because the season's longer for that specific package. But okay, if you don't want to look at broadcast stuff, and, and I get not looking at broadcast stuff because not everywhere is behind a paywall. Right. Um, let's look at clothing. Okay, this I had to agree with their methodology to some extent. Now, exact price for clothing varies by team. Mm -hmm. Some teams are cheaper than others, and some teams just don't have any clothing out there. But the example that they use is they took a Mercedes shirt for the F1 team at 65 pounds. By comparison, the nearest closest, and this is a big team that does a lot of marketing in their own right, Manchester United. Shirt would be 55 pounds. Okay, so 10 pounds one way or the other. Okay. A program at the British GP, 15 pounds. Wimbledon program, eight. Seven for Champions League, six for uh, Six Nations, um, and the England-New Zealand test, and it, it all goes down from there. Um, going trackside. This is where there's a lot of differentiation, and I think a comparison is hard here because some races are more expensive than others. Mm -hmm. You know, you have Abu Dhabi and Monaco are just – actually, Monaco, according to their thing here, isn't – actually, it's probably because their price here includes travel. They show Monaco as being 753 pounds with Abu Dhabi being – 1069 well, but it's the travel cost because Abu Dhabi is more expensive to get to. Well, and that's the so on the going trackside piece of the article, my um the umbrage I take there is they don't call out just the ticket prices by themselves, they add travel from the UK. So, yes, suddenly getting to Abu Dhabi or China becomes very expensive. And yet the Chinese Grand Prix is one of the cheapest Grand Prix to go to. See, now what they don't spell out, and this is kind of bothersome, cost of a British ticket compared to – oh, I see what they did. Ticket price in red travel in, in blue. The British Grand Prix, they say it's about 155 pounds. That was, I for believe, price. for the weekend. Oh, mm -hmm. I believe they took the list price because they did make a call out that they did not include the $99 special for a race right. day or the lower price for the weekend. But the comparison here is other races. So compared to the 24-hour of Le Mans, mm -hmm. they're 79 pounds for the weekend. Um, Silverstone Classic, which I'm not sure what that is, 52 pounds. MotoGP race is 45 British Touring Cars is 26, and very unsurprisingly, the World Series by Renault is 8. Okay. Now, it doesn't bring in NASCAR ticket prices. I don't know how it compares to them. Specifically, you'd have to look at, like, Austin. Right. Um, cost of other sporting matches, well, the World Cup rugby match, that's 390 pounds. Which is on par for what they say uh, Abu Dhabi was. Yep. 160 pounds for the Wimbledon men's final, 97 pounds for the Premier League top-end game, 
um, 62 pounds for the first Ashes test. Uh, or yeah, first Ashes test, first day. That's cricket. Um, yeah, Disney on Ice at the O2 by comparison. That's 20 pounds. The BBC Good Food Show at the NEC. That's 21 pounds. I, I think, think the, the better mm-hmm. comparison, mm-hmm. the most accurate comparison, Gloria, besides the the merchandise, is Le Mans. Le Mans is, and we've talked about this before, it is a standout autosport event. It's a 24-hour event. So people are going there, and they are camping out there, spending a lot of time there. Yeah. And it's a lot cheaper than anything else. Well, yes, I understand that. And I'm not arguing that Le Mans might be a better value. But... There's no part of me that will tell you that I think that F1 is a cheap sport to support. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, in the States, if you want NBC sports coverage, it's probably included and bundled in your cable package and you can move on with your life. And you don't need to buy the extra app on the on your iPad or things like that. You There is a fairly low cost of watching it not in person well monetary cost the psychological cost of having to follow <laughs> f1 based on nbc sports's coverage that's fairly high and those of you who are still f1 fans after a season of watching nbc sports i'm my hat's off to you <laughs> that um, was low i know it was but so yeah i get it I get that, you know, my last season Mercedes McLaren shirt, McLaren Mercedes shirt, Mm -hmm. that was on Super Bargain Saver sale that I think we paid five pounds for. Yeah. um, Isn't going to call me out as being an Uber fan. But it's a Jensen shirt, so I'm cool. There's that. Um, However, that said... I think that um, more interesting was an article, and I do need to send you the link. The Telegraph did a gallery review of all of the venues mm-hmm. and ranked them based on the race, the venue. Um, and there were three rankings out of ten and ranked which races were actually worth your time to go to, either because the venue, the area around it, plays well with the race Mm -hmm. or that the race actually inherently has some excitement to it. Um, And he ranked some of them very, very poorly. One of the ones I found very interesting was how highly he ranked Austin. A lot of people have said Austin has done it very well. That's what he said. And he's a Brit. It's not Mm -hmm. like he's, you know, biased, but he said other than the overabundance of Stetson hats, which you got to accept in in Austin. Um, he said that became tiresome. He really liked Austin. He said for, um, you know, he, in venues like the Chinese Grand Prix, he says the track is uh, awful and there's nothing around it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, well, it's saying in Shanghai like, is not too bad. Just like Korea. I mean, Korea was also another one that everybody hated going to mm-hmm. because it was out in the middle of nowhere. They were staying in, quote-unquote, love hotels (laughs) because there's no local hotels other than those special places. That charge by the hour. Yeah. 
That's all there was. Yeah. And the track wasn't that great. He ranked, you know, Abu Dhabi pretty low. That the the race itself is not great. Um, the area is fairly interesting, but even that he ranked very low. But it was interesting to see how he ranked things. What I, and I find that kind of interesting that he would rank Abu Dhabi low because Abu Dhabi is considered the second party race, with Monaco being the first. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the rich and famous go to watch the race, and, and so I'm I'm kind of surprised by that. I think his point was that yeah it may be a party race but it's a party race for the exclusive and not the well, fans. So is Monaco. Yeah. But it's 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 the fan. He ranked Monaco pretty low too. He's like the race itself is per- processional. He says other than the fact that you get a really up close view of how insane it is. Mm-hmm. He says Monaco itself is a shallow city and it's not he doesn't consider that a, a jewel on the the crown. It's hmm. It's historic. That's why you keep going. The race he suggests is the race you keep talking about. Hungary? Hungary. Apparently, it's the race that a lot of the drivers bring their friends and family to. Really? Budapest is a nice city. Mm-hmm. It's, it's close. It's accessible. It's a good race. And it's a track that, from <clears throat> my understanding, you can see about 70 to 80% of the track from just about any seat because of the layout of it. Yeah. And so he ranked that one really high. And so. it's cheap. And it's cheap. All okay. Right. So that'll wrap up the Formula One stuff this week. You know, we, we are in that hole. So uh, we have been saying, we've been teasing about it, we've been talking about it, that we were going to go back in a Wayback Machine and discuss our vacation. So anybody that is strictly here for the Formula One conversation. We'll talk to you next week. We'll Thanks. see you next week. It's a show <laughs> for you. Um, but otherwise, please feel free and hang out and let's talk Bermuda and all things Bermudian. So um, this is the second year we have gone to Bermuda. We did it on the Celebrity Summit both years. And before we even get to the cruise, Celebrity Summit leaves out of Cape Liberty, New Jersey. Bam. Yes, it's called Cape, it, it, it's called Cape Liberty because it sounds nicer than Bayonne. But the truth is, it's Bayonne, and everything that you have to think about Bayonne, for the most part, is there. If you if you have sailed out of Cape Liberty and you haven't been there in about a year, you're going to be surprised. There's a whole new terminal. Yeah, they built a brand new terminal. We the, the old terminal. The the truth was, it was a hole. Mm-hmm. It was an absolute dump. Um, you were bussed to the ship from the terminal because the ship couldn't even tie up at the terminal. Uh, the new terminal is in. It is – it's not pretty, but it's clean, it's nice, and it's easy to get onto the ship. It is about what you'd expect from a generic modern cruise terminal, mm-hmm. which i got to say is a massive improvement compared to what was there before. <laughs> True. One of the nice things about that, though, is with the new terminal, they've got the direct gangways that take you right onto the ship over at uh, Deck 5. It used to be that you got on at Deck 1, and it was the crowds to get onto the elevators and shuffle off to the various parts of the ship. Since you now get on at Deck 5, it's a whole lot easier to disperse people onto that ship. Right. Um, 
we were traveling in suite class. Uh, originally, we were booked in the celebrity suite, which we like. We've done this before. We did it last we year. We were booked in the same room. That exact we went- same room. We got upgraded to the royal suite, which was an experience. <laughs> but one of the nice things about celebrity, if you travel in their suite level, um, celebrity has worked very hard over the last two years to differentiate the level of service they provide to suite guests compared to everybody else on the ship. And in many ways, they're doing a very good job of it. Yes, they really are. There are, um, even amongst the suites, there are some added benefits that come with the different suite levels. The top two tiers, in addition to getting... Um, access to a private dining room and Michael's Club, which is a private bar, basically. Mm-hmm. Where, um, by the way, not only is it a private bar, but the drinks in said bar are complimentary. Correct. Um, and access to a concierge and butler service, um, priority embarkation, disembarkation, all of those things, even um, special seating at the formal night shows. Mm-hmm. For Royal and Penthouse Suite customers, you also get unlimited internet access and unlimited mini bar in your room. Yes. Um, and, a, and two large size bottles of liquor are provided when you board a bottle of vodka and a bottle of scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, and those come to those upper suites. So even within the suites, you've got levels of suites. Complimentary laundry up to, I think, 40 pieces. 20 pieces per guest. Right. Dry cleaning and pressing, all of that is included, which is very nice. Um, Their first uh, initiative to start improving the suite experience was Michael's Club, which they did last year. Uh, They have since gone, and I believe it's now completely fleet-wide, they've partitioned off the main dining room and create a separate dining room for the suite guests only. Correct. Luminaire is is what they have called. Luminae. Luminae. I'm sorry. No R, and it's not Disney. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, this isn't simply a matter of a couple of flexi walls and they're done. I mean, this is a fully separate dining room. With a completely different dining experience. Yes. One of the first things that we noticed in the completely separate dining experience was that it tends to be a little more, I don't know, the chefs try too hard, basically, I think was the the way we put it. It, it, It's more pretentious. It's more pretentious. It's Or tries to be. You still select basically three courses, an appetizer, a, a main, and a dessert, but then they throw in two other courses that are prepared specifically for you one to open your palate and one to cleanse your palate um let me describe the first palate cleanser to everyone so that you understand when we say it was pretentious this is what we got it was a lovely little ball of the prettiest green sorbet you have ever seen it was provided by the pastry chef it was provided by the it was it was we were told that it was flavored green apple and celery on a bed of horseradish and it was it was green apple and celery sorbet 
on a bed of horseradish. And yes, it tastes just as vile as you think it does. <laughs> and every one of us at our table, we tried it because we figured we should give it a shot, right? You know, maybe mm-hmm. the pastry chef had something that it was it was a twist or something. Uh, yeah, it was just as vile. And, and it became that that became talked about for the rest of the cruise. Well, you know, I that leads me to my overall observation of celebrity. And I've had this observation before uh, when we sailed on them last year. When celebrity gets something right, they are outstanding. Mm-hmm. They truly are. When they get it wrong, all you can do is stand back and go, wow, because they get it so horribly wrong. Oh, yeah. And th- this is a perfect example. Uh, another example is as much as celebrity tries very hard to – they want to be a premium experience. And especially in the suites, they want that to be an even more premium experience. They have a tendency every so often, actually all the time, to not be as detailed focused as you truly have to be at that level. Right. And we've seen it before last year in, in just how they overall work the rooms. And unfortunately, we saw it within minutes of walking into our stateroom this year. Now, they were very quick to fix it. They were very apologetic and did everything. I mean, everything you would expect them to do to make things better. But the truth is when you're allowed into your room, your cabin, whether it's a suite or not, really doesn't matter. And you head over to use the bathroom. The last thing you expect to see is a ball of hair. Yeah, that you won't let me say what kind. Well, <laughs> we don't need we don't to know. discuss the details. <laughs> and everyone who is listening knows exactly what it was, and it's fine. Now, Again, the response when we discovered it was 100% what you would expect and what it should have been. Oh, where... well, well, with one minor exception. Okay. Okay, so object found. <clears throat> I went, I picked up the phone, I called the stateroom people mm-hmm. and told them exactly what I found. Mm-hmm. Minutes go by, and I mean, truly, it was lightning fast i had the assistant director of housekeeping at our door yep he walked in with the assistant stateroom attendant so in the suite level you get a butler you get a stateroom attendant and you get an assistant Mm -hmm. i had not met the assistant at this point yet we met him later in our introduction process but no you hadn't met the the stateroom attendant you met the assistant because the assistant came with the assistant head out. That's it. I just, I'm yeah. trying to explain it. At which point I had a very uncomfortable moment of standing in our bathroom with these two other gentlemen having to listen to the assistant hotel manager, uh, director of hotel management chew out the assistant stateroom yeah, okay. attendant. Yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> that was odd. It was uncomfortable. That was, that was But the rest of it, but yeah. and it was instant we will sanitize this and that's what they did oh yeah and they scrubbed the place down mm-hmm. so it was sanitized and the first words out of the man's mouth were i am terribly sorry and you know something whenever i have traveled and we've hit a bump in the road and bumps happen and 
people make mistakes and it wasn't it wasn't intentional yeah and he even told me how it happened and it it's something that would have happened in your own bathroom they they used microfiber towels mm-hmm. and they wiped stuff down and he says they're supposed to keep you know like keep it closed until they mm-hmm. open it up over something and he probably just picked it up and opened it and that's what caused it to fall out completely while i expect the attention to detail to be better it was a mistake it was not an on purpose and i can forgive that i can forgive it when somebody walks in the room and goes i am terribly sorry and we will sanitize everything and and that's before you can say there was no show me there was no it was i'm extremely sorry we will sanitize it we will make it clean it is clean but we will make it clean we will make it cleaner yeah (laughs) And it was, I mean, that was, that was easy and taken care of, but Michael is right. Occasionally you'd see sort of chinks in the armor. As always is, appears to be the case with celebrity. Their food is very good. Their buffet is their weak spot. And it's another one of those, you look at it and go, wow, what are you guys thinking? But they did do away with the single serve pieces yes so back up and tell them what happened last year this was uh, if there's ever any doubt when you go on a cruise as to whether or not those surveys they ask you to fill out get read this was proof in point that absolutely they do the cruise lines listen and they take action on it yes last year when we sailed on on summit they were experimenting with a a new way of serving food um, they came – basically everything that was on the buffet, you didn't plate it. It was already plated and it was served. They were actually – they were very attractive looking. Like what any of the fry food was in miniature wire fry baskets. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, just like the, they drop in the fr- deep fat fryer, but these were decorative. Um, everything was in these metal baskets. They looked very, very sharp. They looked clean. They looked neat. And again, it prevented people from having to actually grab food. You just grab the basket and go. The problem was, as great as these things look, because they were these wire baskets, they were also open to the air, and the food that was put in them cooled down extremely fast. Right. We had a long talk with several people on the ship about it. We put in surveys. We know a lot of other people who are on the ship with us put in surveys about it. This year, they were gone. Yes. Um, now, they did embrace the single-serve pieces that they could embrace that kept mm-hmm. things warm, but they had gone to more of a let's plate this for you. I mean, they're trying to prevent people from spreading disease. Yeah. And having common uh, serving spoons in a buffet is one of the common ways that norovirus spreads through a ship. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we saw – get changed in the last two in in the last year was michael's club and how they handled something like i said michael's is essentially a bar private for those who are traveling in suite class where the alcohol is free now last year the alcohol that they had available was rather limited Mm -hmm. and if you wanted something that wasn't on their bar menu they would go and get it for you but you were going to pay for it this year i noticed the selection was a lot greater, and if there was ever something that they that you wanted that she didn't have, it was give me a bit and I'll get it. Right. 
And within two days, she figured out what we liked, and suddenly those things were stocked in the barn. Yeah. Um, so that was that was very nice little touch. Now the the one thing that was amiss last year there was always, especially around tea time, there were always snacks and stuff like that showing up in the in Michael's club mm-hmm. that didn't happen this year. And what did show up was just weird. Okay, so one of the things about sweet classes that you get appetizers, appetizers, canapes or tea service Mm -hmm. in your cabin every day. They have gone to this little, best I can describe it as it's a divided plate of about four little appetizers. And the butler would bring that into your cabin. And if you weren't in your cabin, he'd leave it for you. It's no big deal. Well, that was the same thing that got brought down to Michael's club. For their dining room canapé service. Last year, and I don't know if it's a function of the concierge himself as to what happened. And that's a possibility. But um, last year, our concierge, who was different, who is now our adopted Spanish son. um, Long story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the concierge last year... He had the the chef make full-on canapé trays mm-hmm. like what you would have at a cocktail party. And they would spread it out in the room as a cocktail party. So it was enticing to come. And as they needed to be chilled, he'd put it in the refrigerator that was guest accessible. And you could make your own little plate. Yeah. And that made great sense and was very nice. What was there this year? Sorry, it was weird. And I told them that in the survey. So maybe next year it will be different. But we're not going back to Bermuda. Yeah. Um, so that was that. Was that. O- overall, though, the, the shipboard experience was good. Mm-hmm. We, we really enjoyed it. Had a good time. And, and again, the crew is fantastic. Yeah, they really are. Um, headed over to Bermuda. The, the unique thing about Bermuda cruises is that it is an overnight. And it is a long overnight. That is three, three nights. Or, or two nights and three days, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic. It gives you plenty of time to just leisurely explore the island, use the ship as a home base, because Bermuda is expensive. Right, it is. So to to not have to worry about your hotel, and there's frequent ferry service, there's frequent other stuff going on to get you into town and see Bermuda. Um we reached out and booked a tour with our friend Ashley over at Hidden Gems. Um, we Just a pause as to Hidden Gems itself. Massive Bermudian success story. Absolutely. Um, the, Ashley Harris, who is the owner-operator of Hidden Gems um, Echo Tourism, is what she does. She has a passion and a love for her island. We took the tour last year her standard tour last year um because it looked interesting and basically because it didn't go to a beach and go sit on a beach we're not beach people so but she takes you to the interior of the island um and you do a bunch of things and we'll talk about the things that you can do but the success story i wanted to explain was last year she had one van and it was one tour per day up to i think it was 12 people maybe 10 And she was hoping that she might get a second van sometime in the next year, but she was growing. Um, She was busy, but not, 
you know, she wasn't, she was still starting out. It was her first year. In that first year, she got named um, Bermuda's top tour. She has a 100% approval and recommendation rate from TripAdvisor. She's got several thousand ratings on Trip, TripAdvisor, and I've never seen this before. Not a single negative rating out of all of them. No. In fact, TripAdvisor called her yes. and said, this can't be real. Explain it. And they did. And they said, this is what we do, and this is what we provide, and this is why it's so loved. And when they talked to Ashley, they completely understood why she does not have... I mean, mm-hmm. people complain about anything. I told her I was amazed that people, like, if it rained, people would complain, like, somehow it was her yeah. fault. And they didn't even do that. She goes, we have contingencies for all weather. I mean, everything she's thought through. Um, this year, she's up to three vans. Two of them are 15 passenger vans, and then her little small one that holds the 10 from mm-hmm. the beginning. And she's got her family involved in the tour guide. She's got separate tour guides giving the gui- the tours now. She is truly growing at an exponential rate. And yet the integrity of her tour hasn't changed a bit. Has not changed one bit. Now, Folks, because her tours, if you are going to Bermuda, book it well in advance because her tours are selling out and selling out fast. People are learning where her tours are going. Many of her tours go to places that are private property. Mm -hmm. And apparently the property owners are starting to get a little upset over the people who have not been able to get onto Ashley's tour and are trying to make their ways to the same place, and they're not being respectful of those venues. Um, And she mentioned to us that at least two of those locations are considering gating their properties to minimize the non-tour groups coming. Right. Um, Which, in a way, is a shame, but I understand their need to do that. Um, Ashley is... Very, she's what third generation or fourth generation? Fourth generation Bermudian. Fourth generation Bermudian who knows almost everybody on the island, and the island has a ton of respect for her group. Uh, Ashley is has exclusive access to both of the um, caves that you can swim in Bermuda. Mm-hmm. One of which is behind a lock and key because it's on private property true and well both of them are actually on private property both of them if all the parts start going through both of them will only be accessible through ashley right one of them is only accessible if you are on ashley's tour and staying at one of the most expensive and exclusive resorts on the island Mm -hmm. and you have to have meet both of those requirements to go to their cave um what do you do on this tour it's an eco tourism tour People might not realize this, but Bermuda is not only full of caves, but it also has a jungle. And so she takes you into the jungle. You go to where one of the old dolphin shows used to be for cliff jumping. You can go to swim in caves. There's a dry cave you can explore um, where she puts you in hard hats and miners lights because it's Completely dark. Yep. 
um, uh, stalactites, stalagmites, all of those things. She will talk about native creatures. She's fascinated by the native plant, wildlife, um, and the minerals on the island. Um, there are geodes and crystals in the rocks of the caves, and she will point them out and tell you not to touch them because you don't want to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, she introduced me to a couple of gecko friends and chameleons. <laughs> um, interesting factoid. Did you know that the chameleon lizards will run away from men but will not run away from women? I learned that this trip. I was fascinated by that. We had a there's a I have a picture of a chameleon mid color change from bright bright blue to dark dark green. He's literally half and half, and I'm probably about three feet away from him, unmoving. Our son walked up and he took off like a shot. Yep. Um, they just know. They just know the difference between the boys and the girls. It's very cool. They they have tours that go snorkeling over to the what used to be the NASA and U.S. Navy base, uh, but is now a wildlife preserve. Mm-hmm. Um, they're snorkeling over there on and some very quiet pink sand beaches away from the rest of the maddening crowds. Oh yeah, and that was also the beach that Michael got bit by a parrotfish. Yes. Um, ice cream at a local ice creamer, uh, ice creamery, ice cream parlor. Made on the island. Yes. And award winning. And lunch, she rotates where the lunches are. She's also got several other tours that they are, they have rolled out over the years, or over the year. Um, and in the off season, her offerings change a little bit. Uh, there may be over in one of the other jungles some tree swinging, mm-hmm. depending on the weather. Uh, she talked about a spa tour that they're doing now on some evenings in the off season. One evening during the winter, they do an evening tour, and it involves a massage and some spa treatments. And she, one of the things that she has done, and probably one of the big reasons she's so incredibly successful, is she's gone to her friends and the people that she knows in the area and granted she knows just about everybody and partnered with them (laughs) so like for the restaurants for example she's rotated through the restaurants to give them all a little bit of business Mm -hmm. without inundating anyone but sharing the wealth and i think that that also becomes very appreciated amongst the bermudians except i think the ice cream place everybody goes to the ice cream place everybody goes to the ice cream place (laughs) i have a feeling that there's a family connection there probably um, now, the place that we went last year, which was Dark Horse Tavern, mm-hmm. is sadly out of business, which is completely tragic because it had one of the most glorious views of the islands. Um, she also took us to St. David's Lighthouse last year and St. I'm Gibbs Lighthouse this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the the where the cliffs were, where the long tails were flying in and nesting? That was over by that was in St. David's at one of the fortifications there. This year she did not do that. Um, a member of our group isn't quite as mobile. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead we went to one of the other forts, Fort Scour, which is closer to the Royal Dockyards. Right. Um, a little bit more accessible, but also equally breathtaking views. I'm going to explain what I've told everybody that stands still about my experience in Bermuda. The first thing you see in Bermuda is a breathtaking view. 
I don't care which direction you look. And you think to yourself, nothing can be more beautiful than what I am looking at right this minute. I don't know. If you're on the ship and you look over at the Royal Dockyards, that's not really breathtaking. I mean, it's nice, but it's not breathtaking. And then you turn about 25 to 30 degrees and you get a different view. Okay. And it's equally or better breathtaking. And you think, I cannot see anything any prettier. And you keep turning and you realize that by the third day of being in Bermuda, you are actually numb to the beauty. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy because day one, you you hit a rise in the road. You stand at the dockyards in the fortification area of the dockyards and you look out over this blue water that is 40 different shades of blue and they're equal every one of them is gorgeous from this bright bright aqua to navy depending on depth of water because the water is so clear Mm -hmm. and you look across at the green and the beauty and you go this this is paradise and it's gorgeous and by the third day you're like yet another gorgeous view and i i can tell you that both times we've been there i've taken a hundred pictures on the first day and the third day i take two because you get numb to it now if you've been to the caribbean this is not and and you've sailed to especially if you've cruised a lot to the Caribbean, you're going, what do I need to go to Bermuda for? I've been to the Caribbean. I've been to all the Diamonds International. I've been to the Pacific Jewelers. I've been to the Nahoko Pearls. I've been to all the things. And, you know, I've, I've had all the, the guys standing on, on the, at, at the foot of the dock trying to, to convince me to take whatever stupid tour he had. I don't need to go to another Caribbean island. Bermuda has none of that. Mm-mm. You will not find on Bermuda a single cruise port store that you see in any other cruise port anywhere. No. You won't see, well, for that matter, pretty much any American chain. No, because there's not even a McDonald's on the island. Nope. Um, the taxi drivers, which 99% of them will be wearing knee socks mm-hmm. um, and their Bermuda shorts, which is considered part of formal wear. And it's completely acceptable business attire in Bermuda, by the way. Um, as long as you wear dress shoes and knee socks with them. It is, they maintain meticulously clean cabs. Oftentimes they don't want to pick you up from the beach because you might get their cab dirty. Yep. Um, but they are all certified uh, tourism ambassadors. And they will give tours of the island and typically for like 50 bucks you can get a carload of people to go see the basic tour um that's not ashley's phenomenal tour but it's it's a basic it's it's a tour that will get you to see stuff um but the other thing of interest to note about bermudians in particular are that they are notoriously very welcoming and nice to the point that it can be a wee bit freaky (laughs) <laughs> we have some dear friends who cruised with us last year and cruised again this year. We met them last year, um, who tell this great story of taking one of the cab tours. They were just <laughs> trying to get to one of the beaches, and the the guide was trying to show him show off his beautiful island. And next thing that she knows, they have pulled over to the side of the road to forage for local fruit and produce. And she's tucking it in her bag just in case they might get kidnapped. 
Um, and she she's plotting this whole thing. But I think at some point she wound up meeting the cabbie's grandson and he got picked up in the cab at some point. Yeah. I mean, it was a family affair. They would have gotten invited to dinner if they didn't, you know, have to go to the beach. But it's that kind of a thing. Uh, Ashley tells the story that it's not unusual to ask a Bermudian for directions to something and be swept away into their car and they'll take you there. Yeah. And it's off-putting to Americans because we're not used to that. Um, Because they are a lot nicer than we are. And Well, with it being such a small island, they are a lot more trusting of each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Bermuda also strictly controls the amount of cruise ships that can be in port um, and cruise ship passenger numbers. They are strictly controlled, which helps the island not have that overrun tourism feel. Keep in mind, the big difference between Bermuda and every Caribbean island is wealth. Mm Mm-hmm. Bermuda is a wealthy nation unto itself, built on the back of the financial industry. Um, the creme de la creme of Hollywood and uh, witch moguls have places in Bermuda. There's a lot of old money. In and there's a lot of a old lot of money. Very old money. Um, and because of that, the people of Bermuda don't treat tourism while a prime industry and something they rely on those dollars for. They don't treat it like... Every passenger coming off the ship isn't a dollar sign. No. And I have always gotten the feeling in the Caribbean that they want my money, but they kind of hate me. And in Bermuda, they'd like my money. That would be nice. They're going to be really nice to me about it. Yeah. Um, And they're glad I'm there. And that's the other thing. Um, They also have a burgeoning art community and craft community. Um, In talking to some of the local artists, it's something that is just now emerging, the local art parts. There's um, craft markets in the Royal Dockyards. You don't even have to go far. Um, And... The artists are emerging. A lot of children are are pushed towards the financial industry because that's where the work is in Bermuda. But as they have learned art and craft, there is a need for artists. And um, one of the things that is very popular is a few of the artists make some beautiful jewelry that uh, exhibits the pink sand beaches. Mm-hmm. It incorporates the pink sand. Right. And... Um, so it's a a way to take home a little piece of Bermuda. Uh, we'll link to Jennifer Rodriguez in our show notes, I'm quite sure. Yeah, we'll have a couple of links, um, both to, to Hidden Gems and, and Ashley and Jennifer Rodriguez, who you're a very big fan of, yes. and uh, probably the Bermuda Clay Works as well, which another fun little place that we like heading over to. Um, um, and also Devil's Island Coffee. Yes, Although he is not shipping internationally yet. Right. Um, I don't know what else to say about Bermuda. I mean, we could talk about its rich history if you would like to. I mean, I could go on and on about why Bermuda is so cool and why you should take your kids to Bermuda. Yeah, it's definitely a family-friendly vacation destination. And the nice thing about Bermuda cruises is that 
because it is just a single port that gives you three days and, and some time to rely, unlike any other kind of cruises, they tend to be a little bit cheaper, and they tend to not require you to depart from the traditional Caribbean gateway ports. So you don't have to run all the way down to Florida. You don't have to run down to Texas. Uh, you can sail from New York, Baltimore, or Boston. Correct. Um but I was thinking more in terms of take your children to Bermuda as a fundamental part of learning American history. Yes. Because one of my favorite pieces of understanding Bermuda and Bermuda culture is Bermuda played an integral part in saving Jamestown. And if you don't know the story, I would highly recommend that you look it up and read it because it's fascinating. But the short version of the story was that we established a colony called Roanoke that had failed miserably due to Europeans not having the resistance to the bugs and such that were here, plus a few little Native American problems. We then come back and establish Jamestown, and this time we got smart. We started sending boats to try to, to sustain, it. sustain them. And so we sent us fleet of four boats. The Sea Venture was one of them. They hit a massive storm. And the captain of the Sea Venture knew that there was an island that had been discovered almost 100 years before, but never gone to. Well, it was considered cursed. Because it sounded like devil screaming. He ran his ship up on the reefs that surrounded the island. And broke the ship up, and the, the crew swam to safety. And then went out and retrieved all the parts. It took them a while to rebuild, but they rebuilt two ships and took the bounty from the island. Um, there's a native cedar that's one of the hardest hardwoods in the world, um, Bermudian cedar, and they, that's what they built the ships out of. But they brought some of the bounty, some of the fresh and fruits. And had a hard time getting the people to leave the island. The captain survived two mutinies because his crew didn't want to leave. He left a few men back in Bermuda and then went onward to Jamestown with this idea that he knew they needed him. And gets to Jamestown and they are almost devastated but not quite. And what he did was he used one of those two boats that he built to run basic ferry service between Bermuda and Jamestown to bring to resupply them. And then took the other ship and went all the way back to England to let them know what was going on. So they were able to use Bermuda as a stopping place mm -hmm. to supply and fortify and ensure Jamestown's survival. But the story doesn't stop there. As the colonies were then growing and developing and starting to break from England, England notices that Bermuda is a pretty good place to build some forts. And so they cover the island with forts. And the Bermudians are not too happy about this at this point. And, General, and there were embargoes, and so Bermudians were starving. General Washington was almost out of gunpowder, and he pins a letter to the, the, mayor, the governor of Bermuda and says, I'll give you food, give me gunpowder. So the Bermudians allowed the British to set up forts on their island and gave all of their gunpowder to the United States, and that's why we won the war. And yet through all of that, Bermudian, Bermuda stays English. Yes. But, yeah. Anyway, so that's my American history and why you should go to Bermuda for the American history portion of your education. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, we've run long. We appreciate you guys sticking around for 
our diversion, but, you know, it's what happens when you have this big gap of no races. Well, there's that. We could have made them sit through our vacation pictures. No, we're not going to do that. I mean, see? This is in lieu of having sit through the slideshow. Okay. So on that note. Are we going to call it a show? We will call it a show. Remember, you can find us over on iTunes. Uh, I'd like to leave a review. Well, we'd like it if you would leave us a review or even a comment over on the Facebook page. I heard from Jim over on my Facebook page, so I know people are listening, and we we appreciate it. You know, we like to hear from you guys. It, it reminds us that there's somebody out there, and we're not just talking into these little black foamy pieces on top of the microphone, and that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would like to say a personal hello to two new uh, Bloke and the Bird fans that I talked to this week that were signing up for our podcast as I was talking to them. Well, who knows? After 45 minutes on Bermuda, they may not be listening at this point. Well, except for the fact that I warned them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Alrighty. So we'll call it a show. And on that note, we will call it a show. Bye.